0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litze. This is podcast number 177. And today is part two of my interview with the fabulous Dr. Bronnie Thompson. So if you did not listen to part one, go back to last week's episode and listen to part one. It was a very emotional episode. Um, I thought it was great. I want to thank everyone for your uh, positive feedback and kind words on that particular episode. I'm really happy about the way it turned out. And one thing you will get from listening to last week's episode is you will get concrete tips, solid examples on how to conduct a thorough motivational interview. I know a lot of people think they're doing this, but I bet you're not doing it the right way. So listen to last week's episode. Bronnie goes through um, some great examples of motivational interviewing. It's really, really wonderful. Um, She got me to cry a little bit, which was a little unexpected, but people seem to uh, like the authenticity of that. So I am just standing by it and sticking with it. Um, It was a really great episode. And, and My conversation with her was so great and so long that I had to split it into two. So in today's episode, we get to the questions that people asked of myself and of Bronnie before our conversation um, last week. So this week is all answering your questions. So another really informative, really, really great uh, podcast continuation of last week with Dr. Bronnie Thompson. It was great. I loved it. Um, Okay, so getting to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Community Board. First of all, I just want to say congratulations to PT, the Global PT Day of Service. It was yesterday, October 17th, and it was awesome. In New York City, uh, there are a couple different groups. The group I was with, we teamed up with New York Cares and went to... An elementary school in Brooklyn and painted murals, cleaned up the school. It was really great. The assistant principal was so happy. She was almost in tears. We had a great, a huge shout out to Columbia University and their doctor of physical therapy program. We had like 20 some first year DPT students and they were great. So thank you guys for coming out and, and making the PT Day of Service here in New York City a really great experience. I had so much fun, and thank you to New York Cares. Okay, now, uh, I'm going to plug something I did myself. Um, well, I didn't really do it myself, but it was an interview uh, through Cinema Says. So if you want to listen to or read my interview, uh, go to cinemases.wordpress.com, Um, It'll also be in my newsletter, so if you didn't sign up for the newsletter, be sure to sign up for it because you're going to get all this insider info and um, some stuff that we don't talk about on the podcast. Um, Anyway, go to cinemasays.wordpress.com, and you can read the interview that he did with me, and I have to say, it really got me to think a little bit deeper as to what I do and why I do it, and... And one of the questions was, you took your time developing your cash PT practice. Given the benefits of hindsight, how can I replicate what you have in less time? Very good question. I gave what I felt was a pretty good answer. And one part of it was talking about imposter syndrome. So if you don't know what imposter syndrome is, it is defined as a term coined in the 1970s by psychologists and researchers to informally describe people who are unable to internalize their accomplishments. And I listen to a lot of different podcasts with a lot of very successful people, and they all sort of, not all, but a lot of them have this in common, this imposter syndrome, this, oh, they're going to find me out because I'm not really who I I think I am, or or perhaps I'm not as good as other people perceive me to be. And, And it's definitely something that I struggled with quite a bit, almost every day. Um, but now I, it's definitely once, once, at least once a week, I sort of have that, Oh man, am I, am, am I, am I sure I'm doing this? Like, why do people think that I have this base of knowledge or why do people think that I kind of know what I'm doing and know the ins and outs? And I think I almost sabotage myself a little bit, which is something that I'm, I'm definitely working through and gotten a lot better at. And whereas uh, an, an insult or or a jab would have taken me back to, oh, yeah, you know, they're right. I, I shouldn't be doing this. You know, it happened a couple of months ago. I was in Washington, D.C., and and someone made a... insinuated um, something about myself and, and the way that I do my podcast and the way I work. And, you know, years ago, it would have definitely uh, just shut me down. And I would have thought, you know, they found me out. I actually, I don't know what I'm doing when it comes to this podcast and I, 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 I'm not good at it. And they're right. And finally someone's brought it, someone brought it up, someone brought it to the forefront, but, and, and I probably would have just sunk in and, and, and quit quite honestly. But this time around, I was, you know, a little upset about it because it was kind of a mean thing to say to someone, but I took that and I said, you know something, screw them because I'm going to take my website and my podcast to the next level. So, um, what my life coach Lori said is, you, you know, uh, in, in a couple of weeks, make sure you get that person's, make sure you get their address. Cause in this couple of weeks, you're going to send them a thank you card because now you're better than you were before. And I, I truly believe that that's what happened. So, I think if you have that imposter syndrome and and someone kind of hits a nerve with you instead of retreating in and quitting use that as momentum to push you forward to say you know something I'm I'm better than what you think I am and I'm I can I can internalize that and I can be happy for my accomplishments and I can celebrate it and and that's exactly what I did so I totally turned around my podcast a little bit and spruced it up. And and I think now that it, it is better than it was before. So I guess I should have gotten that person's address and I can now send him a thank you card for making my podcast a little bit better than it was before. So thank you for that. Um, so that's one. So go to cinemasays.wordpress.com. You can read a little bit more about what I wrote uh, to some really fabulous questions. The last one being, who would you... What deceased person would you want to have dinner with? And I think I picked a pretty good person. So go to cinema You can read the whole thing. Okay, that's number one. Number two, um, new podcast alert. It's called Artists Without Day Jobs. It's from my fabulous lawyer, Jonah Williams. She was on this podcast a couple of months ago. She's fantastic. So you can go to iTunes and she's on SoundCloud. It's Artists Without Day Jobs. And it takes you step-by-step step through the process of making a business of your art. Each week, Jo'Nay, who, like I said, is an attorney and new business advisor, founder of the company Artist Empowerment, will interview a full-time creator, a business expert, or give you tools and strategies she used to help thousands of artists live successfully and live out their dreams, me being one of them. I, I mean, she's just been a huge help to myself, my business, uh, the online courses that I've done, this podcast. So check out Artists Without Day Jobs. And again, this will all be in the newsletter. So the newsletter goes out every Tuesday. So if you're listening to this on a Monday, go to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com and sign up for the newsletter to make sure that you uh, are getting all the information you need. And lastly, sorry for this long intro, guys. Lastly, uh, if you are a PTA student or a DPT student and you are going to CSM in Anaheim in 2016, go to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com slash scholarship or just go to the homepage, click on the scholarship tab because you can win your registration paid for by Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. So check it out. Um, and if you have any other questions, you can email me through the site or find me on Twitter at NYC. Okay, so enough of this interview. Enjoy the part two of my interview with uh, the absolutely fabulous Dr. Bronnie Thompson. Okay, so we are back. Bronnie is back. We are here for part two. Bronnie, thank you so much for for giving a little extra time here because we did part one last week and didn't even get to any of the questions that anybody asked of you being totally selfish. We got to Susan's question, and that's it. And I had a bit of an emotional breakdown. Um, So so hopefully that's out of my system, and and we'll just kind of – so today in this episode – Let's just get to the questions. Is that okay? Absolutely. Okay. Right. righty. So, um we've got a couple of questions that I think are going to have some pretty um profound answers and I think it'll probably cover everything that we kind of wanted to cover last time and then some. So, first question from Sandy Hilton and um Ronnie's already laughing. This was Sandy uh sent this on Facebook. So she Sandy says ask her about squirrels and about what she would say to give confidence to someone who is afraid that no matter what they do, they will always hurt. But before you talk about squirrels, is this that squirrels don't exist in New Zealand? Yeah, we don't oh, have squirrels. They, you know why? <laughs> I guessed it right, because they don't have them in Australia either. And a friend yeah. of mine married an Australian guy, and they were here with like, he had his niece and nephew from Australia here, and all they did—I kid you not—in New York City for a couple. Of, they spent one day in Central Park watching squirrels.
1: I'd been promised squirrels by Sandy and Sarah. They said, "You'll see squirrels." And we walked for two days, and I didn't see a single.
0: In squirrel. Chicago, come to New York. I think there's probably a squirrel right now outside my window on my <laughs> window ledge. If you want to see squirrels, they're like a dime a dozen here.
1: Well, we actually did find them, but I thought it was a mass hallucination. <laughs> I just thought, you know, you've been, all these Chicagoans have been hallucinating squirrels for years,
0: uh-huh. but I'm not joining in. That's <laughs> but funny. No, actually, it's, it's for real. We it's for real. Them. All right. Yeah. Well, Sandy's a great host, so when she when she says squirrels, she's going to produce some squirrels. Yeah, they were squirrels. <laughs> okay. And so I thought that was the reason. Okay. <laughs> Now, let's get to the other question about kind of what we're talking about. And so, again, it's what would you say to give confidence to someone who is afraid that no matter what they do, they will always hurt? Powerful question.
1: Yeah, it's a really common question too. So people think that this pain is dreadful, horrible. And even when we've given good pain neurobiology education, people can still be afraid of the feeling, the pain part. They might know into intellectually this is not damaging me, but it's overwhelming. And that's the, um, I think, the big challenge for pain neurobiology, by the way, is that we if we do PNE, we need to be certain to not just explain the pain but also help people learn that Actually you are far more resilient than you think you are. So the fear is about that pain is gonna overwhelm me, that I'm and I won't be able to do what is important to me when I have this pain. It's just gonna take over. So I often laugh with people and say, Well you you never die from pain. You just want to die. And so we start with looking at what what's the current changes in pain? What's the variability in in your current pain? Um, And most people will recognise that their pain goes up, but it also goes down. But we've got really good selective memories. So we tend to remember the peak experiences. So my pain is always like this. And if you're currently in pain, you'll always think that that's the way it always is. It's really hard to remember that actually it drops. So I do think pain diary and I for years have hated pain diaries but it's at this stage where somebody's in that making sense phase I think there's value in them. So let's chart your pain. Let's have a look at what you were doing before and after and while and let's look at what you were thinking and where you were located. So what's the context? So we can understand a little bit more about the shape and pattern of your pain. And then we will start, um, and this is where I'll use a graded exposure approach, and we'll, I might use the photographs of daily living. I don't know if you've heard of that. A whole bunch of photos of, of people doing daily activities, and we get people to sort them um, into these I'll do, these I'll hate. Um, these I'll hate. Look, these I'll do, we'll, we'll shove those away because they can already do them. These ones I don't want to do, um, we then get them to rank them from Ten, absolutely no way I'm doing this. Down to one, I'd do this if you held, if you made me. I could do it, but I'm, I really don't want to. And we start with those bottom, that bottom one. And we say your pain is probably going to vary. Look at some pain strategies, um, and that's often things like positive self-talk, um, saying, "I know it's going to be sore, but I'm safe." The old butlerism, it's mm-hmm. sort all of safe. Um, that my pain always settles down, but it's just having a bit of a tantrum right now. Um, and I use then use mindfulness very often, just to notice, because in that um, when people are living well with pain, one of the the key skills people have is noticing and monitoring their pain, but not getting caught up in the mind chatter about it. Hmm. The mind chatter that says, oh, no, this is going to be a disaster. I'm never going to be able to sleep tonight. And then I'll wake up in the morning and I'll just feel awful and I won't be able to do anything. So it's those judgmental statements about the pain that um, I'm trying to minimize or eliminate.
0: Right, so and I that's, to- that's the backbone of meditation, right, is to be able to sit and without judgment,
1: yeah, and just to notice, just to be a mm-hmm. bit um, curious. Mm-hmm. So, I might guide people through um, where you're sore right now, um, find that area, and just tell me another area that's not sore at all. And if people are lost, I'll suggest your left earlobe, or your right eyebrow, or your little finger, places that, or your navel. Your navel's excellent, it's very rarely sore. So that people notice that there is a difference between the sore part and at the same time, there are parts that don't hurt at all. But in the fear of everything hurts, it's all a disaster, we lose track of those. Then I ask them to look at the border. Where, where is it most intense? Where's the border between it just being a little bit sore and actually not being sore? So it's like a exploring what the what does it feel like and then I help um, people talk about or they talk their way through what they're actually feeling so that we can um, their sensations rather than the judgment so it's achy it's burny it's um, deep it's shallow it's stabby those sorts of words rather than oh my god I'm never going to do this oh it's going to be terrible um, so those would be some of the key skills that I use during graded exposure. The other thing is to build in that um, that all those activities need to be things that are meaningful to the person. There's got to be a reason to want to do it. So, for example, if you suggested I need to go to the gym, I'd be laughing because there's no way I'm going to the gym. And running, unless I'm late for a bus, never. <laughs> I just don't do it. So if you were looking at a series of, of movements, I'd need to have something that build into what I'm I think is important.
0: Right. And that and, again goes back to that values patient centred, values based patient centred care.
1: Yeah. So so for Sandy's question, I, I begin with that person's act. Let's look at what they can currently do. Let's look at the variability and help them recognise there are times when pain is less bothersome. It might be still there, but it's not bothering you so much. Let's start looking at what it is about those situations that can help um, build a sense of confidence. That yes, even though when it f- even though it flares up, it also settles down. And let's have a look at the other parts of the body that are not sore, even when this thing is. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. No, that's. I think that's great, and I hope that. I think that's a great takeaway and someone something that people can start using today, can start using tomorrow, immediately after hearing this podcast. They can say, okay, I can actually go back to my patients now and and talk to them about why they're afraid to move or if they're always going to hurt and sort of point out to them uh, whether that be through mindfulness or... Or through, like you said, the photos of daily living, and see what what can you do, and sort of yep. build up what can you do. You can do all of this, and maybe you can't do these little things here, you know. And and I wonder. It makes me think about the new that book from David Butler and Laura Marmosley, the Protectometer, where they mm. have the dims and the sims. So is yep. that increasing the sims or the safety in me? just by kind of going through some of these exercises with your patient and minimizing the danger in these signals.
1: Yep, and, and helping people notice the safety in me is those areas of my body that are not sore. Mm-hmm. Right, Actually, right, absolutely. That aren't that are fine than are sore. And one of the things that I remember from looking at attention management is that we can only focus on one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. And so if you're noticing your pain, you can not be noticing the other good things. But if you start noticing those good things, the pain correspondingly gets less. Mm-hmm. And although, and, and to the point, for some people, it actually goes completely. Um, but for many people, it's just there is a little bit of a background thing. And often I find it's when people get into flow experiences. So they might be video game. Players or mm-hmm, um, uh-huh. They like to run, or they cycle, or they read, and they get caught up so time gets lost. And at those times, pain is just not present. Driving is actually a common slow experience for people. I'm just driving. I can't remember how I got here, but I did. Mm-hmm. And it's during those times that then we can say, so what was it about it that was so good? What made you feel good? And and then bring some mindfulness into that as well
0: mm-hmm. yeah no thank you that's a great answer and, and like i said people can run with that no pun intended tomorrow today right after they hear this podcast okay let's move on to the next question so i god i hope i say this name right um mark Car- carjella carjella yep. is that right yep okay um no. <laughs> mark mark asks Um, Are there any tips on instituting an exercise program in widespread pain syndrome such as fibromyalgia? Any helpful strategies to get a reluctant patient on board with exercise? Wow, is this hard. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I guess I'd be asking the question, why is exercise important to this person? Mm -hmm. And is it exercise, as in immediately I think about exercise, I think of lifting weights and running. And I'm not going to do that. No way, no how. <laughs> so what else do we do in daily life that involves movement? And what about thinking about it in terms of movement? Vacuuming the house has got an incredible METS use. You, you're really using vigorous movements. You use lots of, exos- lots of energy. And so it's an exercise. Dusting, reaching, hanging out mm. clothes, um, Walking around the shopping mall are all daily activities that people do that involve movement. Then you can add in other types of movement. And for someone with fibromyalgia, one of the things to remember is that people with fibromyalgia get delayed onset muscle soreness that doesn't just last for two days. I I have fibro and I'm currently through my – this is my week and a half – of um, flare up from pushing a really heavy um, trundler around a a shop with 40 litre bags of compost on it. Just work my body out and I'm paying for it. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. not something that I would normally, no, it's something that I just need to do. It doesn't mean anything, it just means that I'm sore. Um, But it's important to remember that Doms last longer that while most people who exercise will get a 30-minute reduced level of pain after they've finished their exercise, people with fibromyalgia don't get that. What they get is an increase in pain immediately after, and an increase in fatigue. So exercise can't be done in the same way for people with fibro. Um, What it does involve, very often, is smooth flowing movements, stretching. Um, I dance. I do belly dance. I love it. I'll do that for hours. I won't go to the gym. Belly dance is quite vigorous, but I've got to a maintained level where it's I can keep it okay. But for a novice, just doing those first few weeks of belly dance is really hard because you have to move in particular patterns so advising somebody it's likely to happen um, that you'll feel a bit uncomfortable that's because your body's getting used to doing these really weird movements and your brain saying what are you doing Um, and then I do lots of stretching swimming's good Mm -hmm. um, but it's got to be slow progression much slower than you'd expect for anybody else And it isn't about being fit. Um, People with fibro can be fit as, but still not be able to do a particular form of exercise. So, for example, I don't climb up hills um, because that is one that I really don't like. Um, If I do want to go for um, a hike, we call it tramping here. (laughs) If I go tramping, (laughs) I've I've got a train for it because otherwise I'll pay for it for weeks afterwards, and it's not worth it. So I need to, you need to build up to doing
0: something and then settle it down slowly as well. Got it. So, I, so it sounds like it's important if you're working with someone with fibromyalgia and you want to get them on a quote-unquote exercise plan is to first find out what exercise means to them yeah. and, and how can you incorporate what they like into that program and and to take it slowly and grade it much slower than you would with with someone else and to reinforce yeah. to them that, hey, you're going to be uncomfortable afterwards. That's not unusual. So that yeah. when that happens, they're, they're not sitting there in their house cursing you for making them do something and then guess what happens? They're probably not going to come back. Exactly. So kind was- of manage those expectations.
1: Yeah, I think you also need to question Why is exercise so important? What is it it you're trying to achieve? What are you exercising for? Mm -hmm. If the purpose of exercise is to give an endorphin rush, then do something that's really fun um, for the person. So it doesn't have to be lifting and things. Of course not, yeah. If it's for cardiovascular fitness, what are they getting fit for? If daily life is fairly sedentary, then what's the purpose behind it? What does it lead to? If you're doing range of movement, where are they going to use that range of movement? Where are they going to use the strength? Because it's always going to translate into daily life. Because not very many people pick up an exercise program they've been prescribed and do it for 20 years. They'll just drop it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know? so it's, In fact, so it's don't do it from week
0: to week. Of hey. course, of course. So it's really kind of finding what fits with that individual person. In their life and with their values, there's not a cookie cutter, one size fits all. And of course, that's that's with everyone, regardless of fibromyalgia or not. But And, and I think finding something that makes them happy. Yeah. Like I'm happy too. Like you said, you take belly dance classes. I've just started taking dance classes Yay. maybe like a month and a half ago, and I love it. Like I'm – I mean yeah. – I am probably just flopping around trying to pretend I'm dancing. You know, do you ever see those memes where it's like, this is how I think I look, and this yeah, is how I really how look. I, yeah. <laughs> so I think I look okay, but I'm sure I look a hot mess. But in the end, I feel like I've gotten a good workout. I'm happy. It's fun. I'm sweating. And yeah. so it's something that now I look forward to doing. Even if I'm sometimes a little sore afterwards, but that's okay because I'm having fun with it. So I think if I didn't sort of hook on to these dance classes, like, I go to the gym every day, but some days I'll lift weights and I just want, want, boring, you know? Yes. So yeah. it's fun. I've been having a blast taking these dance classes. So I'm what kind of dance? it's one class is like a combination of ballet and modern. And oh, the really? other class is more like a Bob Fosse kind of a thing. Um, yeah, and I have like zero dance training so for me and like there are a lot of times I'm like the youngest person in the class but these women you could tell were like I'm in New York City right these are former ballerinas former dancers and they are just they have got the moves I sort of stay to the back of the class and and watch those women and see if I can kind of get it but I do the whole class I never stop Go for it. <laughs> and if I don't know a move, I just keep moving. I just keep jumping around. It, it, it and that's works. all I do really. Yeah. So I
1: think um I think what I've found things that people don't think about as exercise. Um things like kayaking. So I mm. I fish. So I jump in the kayak and go for a pedal, and, and that doesn't hurt me at all. That's great. Cycling. Um, I, you probably wouldn't want to cycle in some cities, <laughs> but you do here. Um, perhaps not in Christchurch city itself, but some of those little things that people can do, gardening is great. Great, mm-hmm. sure. If you're in the yard, it's it's fun. Yeah, having absolutely. A pet is a good idea. <laughs> dog a, having a pet is a good idea. Absolutely, because you have
0: to take it's that dog, dog, dog out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I think that answered that question. Um, mm. We talked about. Susan's question in the last episode about the importance of confidence, uh, to hear the importance and confidence questions. So let's go on to Nick's question. So he his question was, how is your research in pain applied to the manual therapy profession? That's a big question. So I'll just let you to it.
1: I think um, learning that there is a process in coming to terms with and accepting pain is um, is probably a really important lesson for all people working in in pain management. And whether you've got people who come in with acute pain or chronic pain or subacute pain, they're going to all be trying to make sense of what's happened. Um, You know, somebody's come in with an acute low back pain, the world's just suddenly gone sideswiped from under their feet. And it just doesn't make sense. And the person that they are gets this real shock. So it's good to be able to affirm their individual person, personhood, <laughs> humanity. You are a person and this is really tough. I don't see any need to divide the psychosocial from the what manual therapists do at all. I think we do it together. It's a biopsychosocial model. Um, that we're using that says that people connect as people. We have this shared space that means I am an individual meeting you where you need help. And that means that I'm going to feel, you're going to feel, and we have to communicate. Our, our communication is our most powerful tool, I think, and it does, I mean, we talk we call it placebo if you like, but it's actually the most powerful ingredient um, is being able to reflect that we've heard somebody, talk to somebody, um, give them the information that they're looking for, help them make decisions, respect them. And that's really what I'm doing um, with the psychosocial stuff. I'm just getting, meeting the person where they're at and then Mm -hmm. going from there. If I see something that's, suggest this person's really distressed and actually they're feeling depressed. I don't want to deal with that and I don't think that, unless that's your area of expertise, I don't think that you should. Maybe that's a time to talk to somebody else. But to give them, the person that space to say, actually, I feel dreadful and I haven't probably talked about it to anybody else because nobody's been ready to ask. A bit like sexuality and intimacy. Very few of us, talk to people about. So you've got back pain. How's your sex life? And that's often the time when people start to cry <laughs> because their relationships are so important. And to me, that's entirely within our scope. I'm So I, as an OT psychology kind of hybrid, I see that very much as in my scope. But I think that respectful, honouring, reflecting, um, giving people the time to express their main concern is something we all have to do because that's what caring's about. Um, And then we decide from there whether whether it's inside our scope or not. Um, And it might not be, but that's – at least we've acknowledged it. But pretending and not going there suggests to this person that that actually it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I'm only interested in your bones.
0: (laughs) Yeah, your bones and your muscles and and – the physics of how you move versus the you as that person. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's a wonderful answer, and I think any manual therapist or anyone who works with a person, mm. <laughs> you know, that's just just wonderful advice. So um that was the, the last of the questions that, that we got from people on social media. Um And what I'd like to talk about now is... Next year in February, Yay. you are going to be one of the speakers at the San Diego Pain Summit. So, can you talk a little bit about um, what you're going to talk about there? Just, you know, you don't have to go into it, but talk a little bit about what you're going to um, be speaking about there and what people can look forward to uh, when they sign up for the conference.
1: Oh, it's going to be so exciting. It's probably the only time in my life I will be level billing with um, Professor Sapolsky and, you know, these are greats that are turning up. It's fantastic. And Sandy's going to be there too. Yes. Um, so I'll be talking a lot more about you these practical communication skills, um, probably more about the motivation. How do you get somebody on board if they – just don't like to exercise. What if they've got something that's more important um, that they want to focus on? How can you, how can you rehearse some phrases that you can just pull out so you're not sort of stuck mm. doing what you've always done, which is tell people what to do? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So getting some, there'll be, it's a practical session of of practicing using these these phrases and getting comfortable with the language and rolling with somebody's resistance, so if somebody says, no, I'm not going there, or they're starting to give you reasons why not, acknowledging that. And we'll be, we'll be working a lot on um, trying to move away from the um, talking head, I've got, I'm the expert, mm-hmm. and into this mutual discovery. Um, so creative questioning and getting the person to find their own solutions. Um, so that's yeah. It's going to be really yeah. Really no,
0: I, I mean I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And and <clears throat> I for one am definitely looking forward to your talk. Now, before we go, where can where can people uh, get in touch with you if they would like to find you?
1: There's, well, there's two three really good places. One is my blog, which is um, healthskills.wordpress.com. That's health skills. Um there is another company called healthskills.com. I'm not that one.
0: Okay, <laughs> good to the know. Press. <laughs> it's like thebodyandmind.org.com. Yes. Yes. Cuz they're the not s- the same. They're not the same. <laughs> <laughs> um
1: so and then the other places on on Facebook, Ronnie Linux Thompson. Um and then I Twitter, I yes, tweet. You're a tweeter. <laughs> yeah, and I'll spell this. It's is free, which is A D I E M U S F R E E. Don't ask why. Long story.
0: <laughs> I was gonna ask why, but we'll then we'll save it for another time. Um, yeah. And before we before we sign off here, um, can you leave us with uh, some final thoughts on being a healthcare practitioner treating someone with chronic pain?
1: Ooh. One is to be human. Be human. This is a person who's sitting in front of you, not an arm, not a painful bit. This is a person. Two, really look after your own distress. Notice and watch your own feelings because when we look at somebody who's who's hurting or distressed, we know our mirror neurons get excited and sometimes we don't want to have that experience so we will – try to diminish or rush away from, giving that person the space to to express what they're feeling. Not because we want them to be quiet, but because we don't want to feel it ourselves. So I think using mindfulness is, is really important. Using mindfulness as the practitioner. Yeah, right. absolutely. Being ready to say, I'm just really affected by that. I've cried with patients because what they tell me, they have some terrible stories and it's so sad. And I don't think that's a a sad thing to sit with somebody and honour that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, connect with people on social media. Best place ever. Best source of CPD. Um, most of it's for free. Some of it's got a nominal fee, but the connections are awesome. Um, and then read the literature. If you can get access to research, read it, use it. But ask the so what question. So don't take one study and think because that one study's found something. That's your answer. So what? Uh, what do other people say? What else is out there? Because it's only as we accumulate information that we can sift out what's going to be long standing gold and what's actually just a bit of dust.
0: Yeah. Yeah, agreed on all points. So, uh, Ronnie, thank you so much for for taking an extraordinary amount of time out of your day and coming on. And this was um, this was wonderful. So, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on. Thank you so much.
1: It's been a pleasure.
0: Yeah, and I'm gonna try not to cry again. But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> once was enough. Um, yeah. So, everyone. I'm yeah no, thank God, I thank God I don't wear makeup um, well at least not during the day. Um, well, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to this two- part special uh with uh, the lovely brawny and um, everyone, have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy and smart.